Hey there, Ravens. This is Sam with a special announcement. On July 31st, the Game Raven crew will be hosting a 24-hour live event on our Twitch channel, Game Raven Review. All donations will go to the charity Extra Life, so come out and have fun with us again on July 31st, and maybe you'll even see someone get pied in the face. Hope to see you there. Welcome to Game Raven Review Podcast. My name is Sam, and I am joined here today not only with some of our great writers, but also with some special guests. And I'm going to start off real quick with Victoria. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. And Victoria, tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Sure. So I'm a producer at Riot Games for Legends of Runeterra, and I'm also an indie board game designer and video game designer. I designed a game called Gladius. Uh, it's about betting on and bringing the gladiatorial games. And I've also dabbled a bit in making some indie video games, uh, most notably Hazel the Plant Witch and also uh, recently Lambs Untitled Neon. Very nice. And also joining us today would be Chris. How are you? Doing excellent, my man. How are you? I am doing all right. And Chris, same thing. Just give us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so uh, by day, uh, working as a software consultant, um, but uh, in the evening hours, taking time to work on some mostly like digital card games and uh, other vid- like indie video game titles. Um, but uh, recently did a game jam uh, for GMTK and made a game with a couple of friends called uh, Shape Wrecked, and we're kind of working on upgrading that a little bit today glad to have you both here with us today and two of the mainstays here on the game Raven review podcast we have taz hey and puppet hey hey how are the both of you all great wonderful glad to have you all here as well and we always have a segment here what we call what are we playing and just kind of talking about a little bit about ourselves and again what we're playing for the week so let's start off with victorio what have you been playing lately? So well, lately, I've been I tried out the the Stardew Valley board game, which was really cool. Uh, it it's um it's like a cooperative game. It has mechanics that really tie closely to the video game itself. Uh, but I know that the the designer of it did mention that it is it's a lot more difficult to play when you play in board game form. Uh, but I appreciated that it was a crunchy game. Nice and Chris. How about you? Uh, I recently got a, a VR headset, so I've been spending a lot of time playing like Beat Saber and uh, other like VR rhythm games. Um, other than that, spending a lot of time playing chess as well. Picked that up during the pandemic and just haven't let it go yet. Which headset did you get? Uh, I got the uh, Index. Nice, nice. And Taz. Uh, so I finally finished Resident Evil Village on stream uh, last Saturday. Great game, great ending. It was amazing. Finally got through it. Holy moly. Because uh, I was streaming that since its release. It's like day one release, but just like kind of chipping away at it for the last couple of months. 
Um, and then uh, still playing some Sea of Thieves with the homies. Got Puppet into it last week on a two-player Tuesday. That was really fun. Um, just, yeah, just just sailing around and running away from zombies, pretty much. Well, I'm not I'm not very good at it, but yes, it was a it was a good time. I mostly just drank grog the whole time <laughs> <laughs> and um, kept losing the treasure chests, so I'm not allowed to carry them anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right. And Papa, what have you been playing outside of Sea of Thieves? Well, uh, yeah, I'm still playing like the same games, you know, that I kind of mentioned here and there. But um, so I am playing the Witch's House MV, which is. Um, I mentioned here before, it's uh, like a puzzle-oriented horror game um, made by Fumi, who's a Japanese game creator, and it was made in RPG Maker. And if you know me, I love these kinds of games. Um, it is terrifying. And I am now playing the extra, like, um, they call it extra, but it's like the hard mode. And the the um, puzzles are so much more difficult, and um, how I solved them before is, like, much different and um a lot of the jump scares are the same and i know that they're coming and yet i still freak out every time it's i i like can't control myself it's it's so it's great this is a great game you guys the witch's house mv you have to check it out if you like indie horror at all um i'm also playing i'm back to playing ghost of a tale which i love um if you're into redwall or the secret of nim or anything like that um, this is a great solo developed game by an animator um, who retired from DreamWorks and Universal Studios. Um, he, uh, yeah, he made this gorgeous game all by himself. Um, and it's just been a great little adventure. I'm a little mouse that is a bard. So I have a loot with me and I am running around jail <laughs> trying to find things. So I'm playing that and then... Um, I'm continuing The Companion that was also solo developed, another gorgeous game um, by David Fazio, who um, was on our Twitch channel. Um, we interviewed him uh, a little while back. He's a great human being, and um, I am nearing the end of his game. So I should be finishing finishing it up this uh, next Friday on our channel. So there you go. Awesome. All right. Thank you guys for your answers. And we'll be right back with the question of the week. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Game Review Podcast. And we are now in our section that we call the question of the week, which every day in our discord, which if you would like to join gameravenreview.com and there will be a link to our discord where we ask a question pretty much to everyone inside the server, just, you know, shooting the breeze, kind of seeing where your mind might be at that time. And so if you would like to do that again, join us in our discord with the link that is at gameravenreview.com. And so for the podcast this week, we have a very kind of simple, but fun question. What is your favorite Pokemon and why? Puppet. This is a very easy one for me. Um, I love Dragonite. And I first fell in love with Dragonite after um, facing off against Lance's Dragonite. Um, and I just, I don't know. It was the first Pokemon that I encountered where at first I, I couldn't figure out like what moves i could use that it 
would be effective against um, because, you know, dragon is resistant um, to uh, water, grass, and um, fire. And um, it was just, it was the first time that I, I really had a challenge. So I was like, what is this Pokemon? It's so cool. And so ever since then, I've, I've just, I've loved uh, Dragonite. And I love Dragonite's demeanor, especially in, um, oh, is it Pokemon the movie 2000, I think? Um, where he's like taking this message from a Mewtwo's like place and he's taking it across the ocean because because Dragonite is the fastest Pokemon. Um, people think that it's not, but it really is. Um, it's in the Pokedex, so it must be true. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and there's a scene where literally Jesse stops this Dragonite with just a frying pan and it makes no sense. And like... I <laughs> wow, I'm such a nerd. I'm sorry. I love Pokemon. Um, <laughs> uh, and I here's my theory. It's not that Jesse was really strong. It's that Dragonite did not want to hurt anybody because Dragonite is. I mean, it has a big belly. It's just nice and cozy um, all the time. And I think that Dragonite just didn't want to hurt her. That's what I think. Anyway, um, with that said, Dragonite is just my favorite, and um, Lance is the coolest. So that's that's my favorite Pokemon. Dragonite is a very solid pick. I hated Lance's Dragonite as a child. I have slightly PTSD about just failing the the Elite Four because that last boss and just oh yeah all the fatness. <laughs> oh. Yeah, uh-huh. all the fatness. All the fatness. Uh, Victoria. So um, my favorite Pokemon is pikachu because when i was growing up i won uh a pikachu plush when i was at this circus and my whole family took this pikachu into my family um when i was a kid and my family even like pretended that pikachu stuffed animal was my sister uh <laughs> so um yeah pikachu is my favorite super cute i miss the original pikachu that was fatter i can't believe pikachu is so thin now uh, but yeah, still my Hollywood favorite. Hollywood will do that to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. My gosh, my little sister had a Pikachu as well, like a little round, fat Pikachu. And uh, yeah, she would take it with her everywhere. She loved that thing. She probably still has it somewhere. Yeah. But yeah. The old ones were cuter. The new ones are too fit. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're, they have necks. Mm-hmm. We don't, Pikachu doesn't need a neck, you know? So. <laughs> Well, uh, we're two for two for the fat Pokemon. Yeah. <laughs> Chris, will you make it three for three? No, unfortunately, I- I'll sadly disappoint. Um, my favorite Pokemon, hands down, is Squirtle, for certain. And not just any Squirtle, but like the Squirtles from the Squirtle Squad who wears the sunglasses. Because he just, he's a mischievous little guy. I would, would play him um, when I was playing Project M. And you can like, do his taunt and it makes him put his sunglasses on. It's so cool. Easily the best. And Taz. Uh, my favorite Pokemon is Cubone. Love me, little Cubone. Uh, he's just like small and angry. <laughs> and it, it's the most, it's like the hilar- most hilarious thing to me. Cause when I saw him in Pokemon Detective Pikachu, that was like one of the first, like, one of the first Pokemon you kind of saw and you were like, oh, okay, this you know protagonist is going to going to catch his first Pokemon. And it was a Cubone. He's super, like, I understood his Pokedex, but Homeboy is tiny. 
tiny little thing. But he wasn't having none of that Pokeball nonsense. He fought tooth and nail to not be in that Pokeball. Like through what's what's the move called? Um bone bone ring? Bone bone the when he throws his bone club thing. Yeah, yeah. When he just throws it and just like he was so angry and he was chasing this man down as this like five inch tall little monster. So uh that's when I like that's when I was like, I was so proud. I was so proud. And he's always been my favorite Pokemon. Such a tragic story. But yeah, so sad. So sad. I think he's got a cute little tummy too. And I would almost argue <laughs> that Squirtle might have a cute little tummy mm. underneath that shell. So I'll I'll take it. I mean, Blastoise is kind of a chunky boy. That very true. Very true. And to keep on theme, um, my favorite is kind of Gengar. Like I don't know why. Like as a kid, I really liked Haunter. And then when you saw Gengar, he's like, oh, he's kind of chubby and things. And, oh, reminds me of me. <laughs> and it was just like a Pokemon I always loved. And with the starters, I've always loved Charizard because it's, it's just a giant dragon that breathes fire. And again, I am a child at heart. So it's like, yeah, why would I not like that? Yeah. And then he gets like a mega evolution that he <laughs> breathes blue fire. And I'm like, why would I not like that either? <laughs> Okay, but that episode where Ash goes into um, the Haunted Tower or whatever and meets mm. uh, Gengar and uh, Ghastly and um, and Haunter is like the best episode to me because they're these really scary ghost Pokemon, but really they're hilarious. They are just such jokesters and it's awesome. It's one of my favorite um, episodes, actually. <laughs> and Pokemon used to do a lot of those kind of like not for kids for kids episodes you know where you these are ghost pokemon it kind of leans towards an issue of yeah kids this that pokemon didn't faint it um yeah right exactly went on yeah. to a new existence as a different type of pokemon now mm-hmm. yeah and i love that too because i i think you know pokemon really shaped me as a person you know like all of us um and it it re like I don't know. It just made scary things not so scary anymore. Like if you just imagine that it was like, oh, it's just a Gengar. Like it's supposed to be scary, but really Gengar is like a person too. And like it has its own likes and dislikes and it just, it's just messing around. It just likes to mess around with you. So that's when I, I think I stopped being scared of ghosts because I was just like, they're people too, whatever. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Pokemon. He just wants to lick you and paralyze you. That. <laughs> yeah. That. Can't help it. That's his nature. Yeah. And take you flying through the air. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you guys for all your answers. And again, if you would like to answer some of these questions yourself, again, join our Discord. It is at gameravenreview.com. Link to our Discord will be there. And we'll be right back with our main segment here at Game Raven Review Podcast. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Game Review Podcast, and we are now at our main topic. And for this week, we're going to be talking about tabletop gaming. And we're going to start off with a few questions here. The first one's going to be, how did you get into tabletop games? And Victoria, if we could start with you. Yeah, sure. So when I was growing up, 
uh, you know, it was like an, it was a, there was a transition between having, well, like not having computers and having computers and also having consoles and, you know, like not having consoles. So part of when I was growing up, like my family was not very wealthy. So we had one computer. It was not very fast. Couldn't play like that many video games on it. And I was never able to get uh, like a gaming device until uh, the Game Boy Advance came out. So growing up, we played a lot of analog games, you know, like cards and uh, like different board games, like the classics, like Sorry, Life, Monopoly, and um, Mancala. And I always kept that love of board games. And when I was in college, that was actually when I got introduced to the big gateway game, uh, Settlers of Catan, because my RA had it and it was one of the activities that we did. And it was after that that I realized that there were a lot more board games than that. And there were actually, there was a board game cafe in New York City near NYU, which is where I went to school. And it was called The Uncommons. And they kept in stock like all of the hottest board games that came out every single year. So that was really when I first found out, oh, wait, there, there are board games, you know, beyond Monopoly and Sorry and stuff like that. Like people are actively making a lot of board games each year. And eventually, because my partner and my partner and I really like to play board games and we were interested in making games, that's uh, that's around the time when we decided to start making our own board games. Awesome. How about you, Chris? Um, when I was like super young, like I've always wanted to make games um, since like probably fourth grade. I think I remember we were playing like Yu-Gi-Oh! And that was the first time I started like trying to make my own like custom cards and start making my own games. That's like uh, separate card games. Uh, card games were kind of the catalyst for me to get into it uh, significant, significantly. When I was in high school, I started playing magic like all the time. And that kind of led to me going to like the local game shop and sitting down and like watching them play like D&D for hours on end and then making a couple of friends from there who introduced me to like Settlers of Catan or Agricola or other some of those intro games back in like the like late 2010 or early 2010s or so. Um, and then from then on, I there was a point where I was working with one of my friends on making a like game design podcast for a period of time so we did a bunch of bunch of design work there just trying to come up with uh all kinds of ideas as quickly as possible and see uh, what stuck and what things didn't and for everyone here what are some of your favorite tabletop games right now let's start with you again chris yeah i think uh my current uh, i i think it's there's a couple a couple that i go to if I'm just kind of hanging out with a couple of friends, I think Mysterium uh, is a good way to kind of sit down with a bunch of people. It's a cooperative game where you kind of try and guess um, who is able to have a particular vision about who killed like one of the other players. It's a nice, like, you get to have conversations with the rest of the uh, people while you're doing it. So you can still help guide some of the people who are new if if that's necessary um but if it's me sitting down with a bunch of my friends who know what to play uh, i want to play blood rage i want to be a viking i want to 
you know, move a bunch of like big scary monsters around and go to Valhalla and uh, just kind of enjoy that experience. How about you, Victoria? Yeah, for me, uh, like my favorite game is it's funny because it's a it sounds appealing to me, but I don't think it really sounds appealing to that many people unless people like history. Uh, so I like this this game that was made um, by the like I think like the Polish government or like the Polish Institute of Culture or something, and it's about standing in line and trying to cut lines in communist Poland when resources were really light. So it's like a worker placement game, but a lot of the game is using these like different cards and where you place your your different um, meeples on the board to get the the resources that you want because like resources are slim. I also really like a game called Yokohama, which is about the industrialization of Japan, but it has a really fun mechanic where uh, you place your workers. And you can only move uh, in like very specific patterns based off of like where you place uh, tokens on the board. So that one is a lot of fun. Uh, but yeah, most actually, most of the time I play a lot lighter games, uh, like games that can be played in uh, 30 minutes that you can play with large groups. Uh, so I also really like the the Las Vegas dice game because that one's pretty easy to teach and you can you can play it with like as many people as you want. They, you know, I think that game accommodates like six people or something, but to have more people, you just need uh, more dice. Up it. Well, it's funny that you mentioned dice actually because uh, recently we started <laughs> we started watching Pirates of the Caribbean again and. Um, Taz recently got like professional dice, um, like cups and stuff, so we could play liars dice, and it's bonkers, everyone. Um, wow, yeah, it's it's like yeah, OG like you know liars dice, um, and like we were playing it last night with some friends of ours because like we we do love tabletops, uh, tabletop games in our house, like um, Mysterium, like uh, Chris mentioned, like. We love that game, although the first time we ever played it on our own, um, it took us like over an hour just to set everything up. <laughs> um, but once we did, like once you get to know it, like it's it's awesome. But anyway, we were playing uh, Liar's Dice last night and we had five people and it came down to me and one other person and we both had one die left and we like they started and they happened to have the same number that I did. And it was like, that's like a 2% chance or something of that happening. And so it was just great. Like, I don't know. It's just a fun game. But I don't know. For me, like, it's just whatever I'm playing at the time. I think I find a game and then like I play it a bunch and then everybody gets sick of it. And then and then we find something else and then we move on. So it, it's just, it's always changing. But right now, I think Liar's Dice is like my jam. And Taz. Uh, I'm just going to I'm gonna have to agree. I'm just going to have to agree with that one because it's kind of the latest thing we're playing right now. Um, I think. I think overall, um, because, you know, I'm, I'm riding that hype of Pirates of the Caribbean, all that good stuff. But I think overall, I think my one of my favorites is uh, uh, Munchkin. Love me a good Munchkin game. It's like classic. It, classic absolutely. Because, like, I don't know, like I like D&D. But this kind of just like 
it it just kind of does a good job of guiding you through the things. And I've played like the first one I played was Super Munchkin. Uh, and then I finally got like my own regular standard Munchkin board. And I was so excited. I love playing it. It's so amazing. Um, uh, but I think overall, yeah, definitely uh, Liar's Dice right now. But overall, Munchkin. I remember Liar's Dice from the Pirates of the Caribbean. And I, I don't know, just I loved just that concept of like this simple cups dice and who's a better lie than the other and i don't know like it's just something about that i'm like i didn't know that was a real game to be honest <laughs> like i i kind of actually want to look that up now <laughs> oh it's so fun it's it's really fun and honestly like i'm gonna give you guys some advice here it's not about how good of a liar you are it's how good at convincing others that you're a liar when you're not mm-hmm. if that makes sense writing that down because you want people to call you out as a liar. I did. <laughs> mm. So that's my advice as a, a champion of one game so far. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And moving on to the next question we have here. Would you say developing tabletop game differs from developing video games? And if so, how so? Victoria. I think that the two are related. Uh, they're, they can be very similar, uh, but they do branch out in their own ways that are specific to their medium. And uh, the, part of the reason I say this is because a lot of video game design programs actually have their students start start with tabletop game design. And I think a big part of that is because when you design a game with just you know cards and random components, it's the fun of that is entirely reliant on the like how fun your game design is like how fun the system you design is you can't really hide behind um you can't really hide behind good art or like good music uh like good visuals and stuff like that it's it's just like pure system you know at least if you make it and you're just like writing on a bunch of cards and stuff like of course you could get super cool art on a tabletop game uh and people who design board games actually often go into video games after that because they, they they typically like specialize in system design which really helps them when they work with video games but i think the the part where the two of them differ is the medium of course when you're working with a tabletop game you have to understand that you know it's only the system it's only the cards and then of course you can have nice components and nice art uh, but like the like the medium itself like playing with other people in person it's like a tactile game that influences some of the design uh, design decisions that you'd make in addition to that there's no computer so everybody has to do everything manually uh you could have a game where people have to do a lot of like the math and calculations and resolve stuff manually uh that's what they do in a lot of war games but the cognitive load of that is pretty high for most people so not that many people may want to play that and then on the other hand with video games because the the medium is you know it's like a digital experience there's a lot more that you can do in a video game that you can't do in a board game you can transport people to different places you can add sound effects uh you can have like visual effects um you know, you can have people use different types of controllers. You can do like a standard controller or a keyboard controller 
or you can have uh, a unique controller, which I've seen at uh, the at GDC. There was actually a whole section dedicated to alt controller games where people use stuff like a couch as a controller or ropes as a controller. But yeah, I'd say that at the core, like when you're designing the game, you know, like the principles of designing are the same at the beginning, but there are more unique things that you can do that are specific to the medium once you get into it. Yeah, I I totally like uh, 100% agree with what you're saying there. I think one of the things that um, I kind of wanted to jump on a little bit was the... um, like at least for me, when you're working on a video game versus working on a paper game or some kind of like tabletop, the fact that you have all of the elements in front of you helps you with iterating more quickly. Like if I want to make significant changes to my system, I can kind of see what's going on versus if I need to implement, you know, new features into a video game, there's a significantly like larger period of time for me to do that. So I don't have to make as many. Um, or it, it takes longer for me to kind of make some of those changes. There's also, I think, one of the things that I've found um, that can be challenging sometimes, and and that they both kind of have their um, their pros and cons. And Victoria, I'd be interested to hear what your thoughts are on this. Is uh, getting player feedback. Um, the when you when you implement like something in a video game, you can add in all of these metrics and uh, like put in telemetry and actually check up what exactly the player is doing. Um, but you're not able to necessarily, depending on how you set up like your play tests or whatnot, you're not necessarily as easily able to understand what exactly the player is feeling and thinking during the gameplay unless you're like sitting right next to them. Um, versus when you're doing like a tabletop, like playthrough of a tabletop game. Um, you're not necessarily able to get as much of those metrics, but you're able to get kind of that player experience a little bit more since most likely you're going to be with them. Yeah, with uh, playtesting tabletop games, it's it's definitely more of an art than a science than when you're testing video games because, uh, yeah, you can't you can't set up all of that stuff to track different types of information. You kind of just have to have people play test and watch them. And you could also have them fill out particular surveys. You could also track some data like, hey, what did each person play? Um, What was their level of experience with games beforehand? What decisions did they make? Who ended up winning? What were the changes that we made in this playtest versus another playtest? But again, like all of that is, is mainly you manually testing that and observing it and figuring out the there's also the figuring out the reasons why you you can well actually one of the benefits is usually when you play toss play test a tabletop game you can see the person and so you can ask them afterwards but i think one of the things that was interesting uh from play testing tabletop games so many times is hearing what people say about the decisions that they made and hearing what they said about what they liked and what they didn't like and like what they'd like to see changed because sometimes sometimes people will have like particular uh ways that they feel about the game or or reasons that they think that they did a particular thing but uh they don't always have the they don't always have like the design knowledge to understand what caused them to experience the fun what was like the underlying issue about with why they were happy or why they were unhappy. And so sometimes 
sometimes players will give different ideas uh, for fixes to particular problems that you have when you're when you're working on like a tabletop game. And it like sometimes they're really great ideas, but other times it uh, it just like addresses a symptom as opposed to like the root cause of why they were unhappy about a particular thing. But um, but yeah, one of the hardest parts about playtesting tabletop games is you have to get real people. It's it's way harder if you have a booth at a convention if you have a tabletop game because it's a, it's an investment. You can't just like grab a controller, play and then walk away, you know? Somebody has to, like, demo it to you, and you usually need more than one player. Right. I have to commit to, like, you know, 20 minutes of that experience, and there is no getting up and going anywhere. Yeah. I want to piggyback on that just a little bit, again, about the playtesting that you kind of have for the tabletop games, and just kind of seeing what unique challenges would you guys face while being a tabletop developer? I think Victoria kind of summed up some some of that really well. The fact that you need to get in-person people in order to do it makes it a lot more challenging to set up playtests um, for something that you're working on. If I build a game online or if I you know, build a video game, I can just ship the game over to my friends and they can run through and do whatever they need to do, play the game, kind of give me some feedback, etc. Um, but if I'm going to be playing a in an in-person tabletop game we need to be in person right and so that can be one of the challenges that you end up running into yeah like i'm trying to think about the challenges of making a tabletop game but most of the time for me it's usually easier than making a video game because when i make a video game i have to get all of these other people who have different skill sets that i don't have like I need to have an artist, and most importantly, I need to have an engineer. Like engineering is a huge part of making a video game that you don't need when you're working on a tabletop game. Whereas, <clears throat> if you're a game designer on a tabletop game, you don't need an engineer. You can you can just um, you can just like make it all of yourself with various components. And at some point, of course, you do need an artist uh, to make it look good. Like if you're going to self-publish it, or if you're going to hire. If you're going to have a sign the game with a publisher, like they need to find an artist and do all of the art direction for that. Um, but yeah, like most of the time, I found that designing tabletop games can be easier than video games. But the challenges that I've had with designing tabletop games, other than, uh, you know, like finding playtesters, is it's it's actually kind of difficult to figure out how to make a fun board game that isn't like something that already exists because like a lot of times if you design um a board game because it because it's a a higher level of investment from uh, like from people and the board game doesn't really do the work for you uh the way that some video games do uh it you have to have like a pretty interesting game to keep people engaged and to have them want to play um, especially when they could just compare it to like all of these other games uh, that are super, super awesome. But the good news is that, you know, like we're we're still in the golden age of board games. People are constantly finding new ways to innovate with with cards and boards and paper, you know, or cards and boards and and like different wooden tokens and stuff like that. Uh, so so that's good. Yeah, I think one other thing that I thought of is um, the the challenge of writing rules 
uh, in a tabletop game versus a video game. In a video game, you need to be able to explain to the users what actions they can take, but I don't necessarily need to describe to them the entire rules of the system. Whereas with a tabletop game, like you were saying, once you give the player the game, they need to go through it and they need to do all of the things on their own. And you need to be able to describe to them all of the ways that they can handle any edge case situations or any of the things that might be a little bit hard for first-time players to kind of grok in a decipherable, easily consumable way. And just being able to present that information effectively can be a, be a challenging thing. Yeah, definitely. Like writing writing the rule book, it's it's funny because a lot of there's there's been some debate in my game design group, like, hey, do you need to be in order to be a game designer, do you need to be good at writing rules? And in the past, maybe the answer was yes. But luckily the you know, there is actually there are actually an increasing number of editors who specialize in editing tabletop games where in addition to like copy editing they can actually see your rules learn your game and then help you restructure your rule book and like rewrite it so that way it's presented to players in uh like an accessible way that'll help them grok the information but yeah it's definitely super different than making a video game because you know when i actually had to work on some tutorials for the past few indie games that I was working on. And a lot of it is you don't like in a video game, you actually try to teach the rules without saying any words. You kind of just want the player to learn how to yeah. play the game by interacting with the game. And, you know, like the fewer words you can use, the better. But with a tabletop game, it it is mostly words. And nowadays, more pictures and diagrams. How has the pandemic affected the tabletop community and how has the community adapted with social distancing? I think that when uh, the pandemic initially hit, it really hurt. Uh, it hurt the tabletop community, and it also helped it in some ways. Uh, the way that it helped the tabletop community is that uh, a lot of people were so bored out of their minds. Um, people who already play tabletop games, and maybe some other people who didn't already play tabletop games. So people started looking for ways that they could uh, hang out with other people. So uh, a lot of people turned to playing board games digitally, either like actual digital versions of the game or playing with webcam or playing it on tools like Tabletop Simulator uh, or playing uh, tabletop RPGs like Dungeons and Dragons and other games, which don't necessarily require you to all be together in person. And it's mostly like voice based. Uh, on the other hand, it did hurt the tabletop uh, community in a way because you know like part of why people a, a huge part of why people like playing board games is because um they're a lot more personal than video games like you literally play them in person you talk to people you don't look at a screen but you still get to you still get to play a game and have a social experience with other people and also i know a lot of people really like the tactile element of like holding your wooden cubes or like holding your cards and placing them in a particular place and so when that went away and we had to move to just like playing video games with people online some people didn't really like that and they actually stopped playing video games i know some people had to stop designing games because uh, they missed the experience of being able to play games with people in person and have people uh, play test the games in person. Uh, but the good news is that with 
the vaccines that have rolled out, um, there was this open question of, will people still want to play video or will people still want to play tabletop games uh, in person or will they just not? And I think that so far I've been seeing the answer is yes. Like people are very desperate to go meet up with other people and uh, play games. And I think they'll still also go to board game conventions. That's a perfect answer. I I don't really know what to add on to that. (laughs) I think for me, uh, for me personally, it was something that I think I saw a lot of shift from like, like Victoria saying, it kind of shifted from being in person to finding ways to facilitate it online. One of the changes is that that meant that your normal play group oftentimes would change because there were times where you would meet up with people in person who you played with and it was cool. But once you were able to do it online, you could meet up with anybody throughout you know, the country, throughout the world. And so you'd see, start seeing people who would expand their play groups to you know, people who live in Minnesota or who live in Texas, right? Uh, so that's kind of helped to build kind of that online tabletop community aspect. Um, but also at the same time for me, like I used to be a competitive magic player. And so going to the shop and sitting down and sitting across from the table from somebody or traveling across the country to play games, uh, not really something that you can do or when you do do it nowadays, or at least up until um, recently, it would be on some online system and you don't really get to see the person who's across from you. So you just don't get that same personal interaction. And, you know, that I, that's definitely something that for me is something that I kind of strive to, to get back into. And lastly, what are you all working on currently? Yeah. So for me, stuff that I've been working on, well, I mean, the biggest push that I had was uh, self-publishing my board game Gladius. That was something that my co-designer and I worked on for almost three years, because not only did we have to design the game and iterate on it and and make it fun, uh, we also had to make it publishable, which meant that we had to do the art direction, we had to write the rule book, we had to edit the rule book, we actually had to run a Kickstarter, um, which involved a lot of like marketing and prepping the materials for that. And then going all the way down to after it successfully funded, we had to uh, work with a manufacturer in China to make it and then deal with global shipping logistics during the pandemic, which was really hard. So after after that, uh, we do have another uh board game that is coming up from another publisher i think that that will probably go on kickstarter this year or maybe next year it's called red cliffs it's a it's a small uh wallet card game about uh the warring states period in china uh that has a lot of area control elements to it and in addition to that we have some various other board game design projects uh, that we're that we're working on. But mostly I've been working on uh, doing some indie video games because I wanted to see what see what that was like. So last year I took uh, this class called Intro to Programming with this group called Code Coven, which specifically uh, teaches people of marginalized genders how to make games. So I took that class and then I ended up participating in a couple of game jams. Those ones that we actually won first place in that I told you guys about earlier. So uh, so that's been a lot of fun. 
right. And Chris. At the beginning of the pandemic, I took off some time and I was working on kind of a digital uh, card game for a little bit, um, trying to take a little bit of influences from the commander format in Magic, where you have like a leader who kind of defines what your deck does, um, but also start to pull in some of the aspects of what what uh, types of interactions can digital card games facilitate that uh, paper card games can't. So uh, trying to integrate some kind, sometimes some types of real time aspects, uh, as well as maybe a little bit more of the randomness that you might not see in a paper card game. Um, but I took some time off from that to do a game jam with one of my buddies, uh, the GMTK game jam, and we made a game called Shapewrecked, um, which is you're like a little ship, uh, a bullet hell kind of game where you're being attacked from all sides, but some of the bullets actually uh, add on to your ship and then kind of contribute some kind of different abilities or effects that might occur. Maybe it'll rotate your ship or maybe it'll cause you to move more quickly. And your goal is to make like a particular shape, kind of like a Tetris on steroids. So me and uh, my friend Adam were kind of working on that game right now and trying to polish it up a little bit more. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you all for joining us this week. And at this time, guys, I want to thank you all so for tuning into the Game Room Review podcast. I've been your host, Sam, and you can find me on Twitter at DFW, And you can find me at DFW on pretty much all socials. And how about you, Victoria? Where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter. My username is Victoria Kanya. My last name is spelled C-A-N-A. And you can also check out my indie game company. It's called Cat Quartet Games. And that's also the Twitter handle. And if you Google it, you can find the website. And you can find Gladius there as well. It's available on sale right now. Nice. And Chris? Uh, you can find me at uh, Sheep Parade, uh, basically everywhere. Twitter is primarily the most active. And then uh, occasionally stream on Twitch as well, if you want to check me out there. Can't even say this enough. Thank you both for joining us this week. I hope to hear from you guys again. Thanks so much. Yeah, it was great talking. It was great to be on. Thank you. And not to be left out, Puppet, where can they find you? I am Puppet Master N. That's Puppet Master E-N. And I am on all the socials. I also stream on Twitch um, Fridays on our Game Raven Review Twitch channel. And on uh, Saturdays and Sundays, and I stream all indies. Um, I've been doing a couple pop-up streams here and there. Um, you might occasionally find me on a Tuesday um, playing two-player Tuesday with Taz or uh, any other um, time during the week when I play uh, bigger games. So come check me out. And Taz. Uh, yes, you can find me at TazTDevil3 on all forms of social media. Uh, I do stream on Twitch every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday on my own channel, and then on uh, the Game Raven Twitch channel on Wednesday nights, playing kind of either the oldest indies, the the latest indies, all that good stuff. Um, I do am a variety streamer, two player Tuesdays with whoever wants to be on board, kind of whatever's fresh on Thursday, and then of course Spooky Saturday is what we got going on. So I hope to see you there. And as always, you can find us on Twitter and Twitch at Game Raven Review. You can find our website, GameRavenReview.com, where you will see a link to our Discord. Thank you for listening. Have a fantastic week, and until next time, goodbye.
Keep 